If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. And good morning. We are live on Forging the Falcons, and this is not Nick Kendall to my this side of things. This is uh, my esteemed guest, Aaron Freeman. Aaron is the host of Locked On Falcons, and I've been following his work for several years, does a great job, and Aaron was good enough to get up with me. Not everybody wants to do this in the morning every time, but I, I told you, I said, I don't like to compete with you heavy hitters in the evening. Besides, I'm, I, I can't stay up that late anymore, man. I'm old. I like the morning shows where I can hit the coffee. So, Aaron, I appreciate you joining us on uh, Forging the Falcons this morning and um, looking forward to some of your takes. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I, I got a couple of cups of coffee in me. You know, I might wind up having to take a nap a little bit later in the day because I'm not used to, uh, you know, giving my Falcons takes this early in the morning. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, it should go good pretty well. Yesterday, um, it was an interesting game. It was kind of a flip the script game from what we've seen with the Falcons before. And I think I tweeted and it was actually just before the Darren Hall punch out fumble. I was in the process of tweeting because at that point it looked like the Rams were going to go down and go ahead and get the go ahead score and put this thing to bed. And I'm like, all right, you know, the Falcons aren't winning this game, but this has been a hell of a lot more fun than the opposite, you know, where an L is an L at the end, but it is so mind-numbingly frustrating to just sit back there and watch. I mean, we've turned it into a verb, you know, a description. Watch them falcon a game away. Um, so, you know, as that game was finished, what was your kind of initial reaction? What was your gut reaction at the end of that game? It was a little disappointing to see the team get so close coming back and, and you know, to kind of basically throw it away at the goal line uh, on that Jalen Ramsey interception. Um, but, you know, I was heartened. I, I came away from this game mostly positive because this team didn't give up in this game. They could have easily just rolled over and died, you know, when the score was 31 to 10 uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter and, and, and let the Rams do whatever they wanted to salt that game away. Uh, but they didn't they didn't give up. You know, that was the big issue last week, uh, not finishing that game when they were up 
uh, 16 points in the fourth quarter against the Saints, and, and they did their best to finish this game. So I think there are, I, I come away similar to the week one game. I have more good than bad coming away from uh, the, the first two games for the Falcons this year. And do you think, do you think some of that has to do with your expectations going in? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the fans, my expectations for this team, when the schedule initially came out, I think I said two and two and 15, Aaron. Um, I, I may, I may have given a flip on another one and gone to three and 14, but I seriously doubt I went over three wins. It's just, for me, I just look at the roster. I see a hundred million dollars of salary that isn't on the field. It's in other places. Um, you know, I see the holes that, that are on the team and I wasn't sure how that they had been addressed specifically right tackle and left guard two gaping holes on the offensive line. And then it looked like the teams that you think that were normally beatable were all on the road. You know, next week you go to Seattle. Okay, well, that's a team you think, okay, you can win the game. But, man, going to Seattle is no easy feat, especially after just going to L.A. So what were kind of your expectations going in? So, therefore, do you think that helps, assuming that they weren't sky high, you know, do you think that helps with, okay, I can see the positives. I can see where this team is going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had low expectations as well. I like when the schedule dropped, I thought they were a four win team. You know, I think Ritter's performance in the preseason gave me a little bit more optimism going into the season to, to move it to five wins officially. Um, but I, I thought, you know, similar to you, th this was team was going to be really bad in the trenches. And I just mm -hmm. could not see a way against this schedule, against these matchups with a lot of teams that are either really good on the offensive line or really good on the defensive line if the Falcons were going to be potentially a bottom five team in both of those areas on their offense and the defensive line, that they would be able to find ways to win these games. They're skilled position players. This is not Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley led skill position players. They, they have some good young players there, but they're, they're not there yet to be able to over overcome their deficiencies in the trenches. And because I had those sort of bottom shelf expectations for their play in the trenches, these first two games, I think the Falcons' play in the trenches has been much better than I thought possible at this point in the season. Their offensive line has not been an absolute disaster. I thought Aaron Donald would absolutely eviscerate their offensive front, uh, and that was not really the case mm -hmm. uh, on Sunday. Like he certainly made his fair share of plays because he's Aaron Donald, yeah. but like it wasn't one of those things where like the Falcons are it's impossible for them to block this guy and he was mostly contained relative to sort of those expectations they were able to run the ball effectively in the, both of the first two games um this year and you know their defensive line hasn't been great or anything but you know the, the four sacks in week one were four more sacks than i probably thought uh going into the season they would have at this point in the season so like I, because as you say like because i had these you know really low expectations i've been heartened by what i've seen so far for this team and i feel like their trench play rather than being this bottom five team and arguably the worst team in the league and from a trench standpoint uh which is what my expectations were going into the season maybe the bears might have been worse but outside of that very few teams you know lower than them on that totem pole I feel like the, their trench play has been closer to league average so far in the season. And that gives me a lot more confidence moving forward that this team will be a lot more competitive moving forward. Now, whether that results in, you know, significantly more wins moving forward, you know, than my initial prediction of, of five and 12, we'll see. 
but I, I do feel like this team is going to be a lot more competitive in a lot of these games than I thought they were going into the year. All right, you hit on about 10. I have to keep notes because there's about 10 things that I had follow-ups on there that I wanted to hit. And I remember hearing I, those keywords. They're like, bing, like Desmond Ritter. I want to touch back on Desmond Ritter. Uh, the trench play, um, especially you know on the offensive line because you're going in there, you're thinking the trench play was a disaster last year. It only takes one gaping hole, and the Falcons had two last year. Uh, and you go and you replace Jalen Mayfield with a journeyman right tackle. Well, Eli Wilkinson has been pretty good. He's he's mm-hmm. held his own. Like you said, even a step up to bad is a huge step up, you know, from the worst, maybe the worst offensive lineman in the NFL to just below average is a big step up. And Caleb McGarry, for me, has been really, really good. Uh, I mean, just, you know, not necessarily, okay, is he the best right tackle in the league? But we're talking about one of the worst right tackles in the league to now I actually think he is above average. He's playing above average. And Lindstrom's Lindstrom. I think Lindstrom is playing really well, too. Um, the center spot, still a bit of a question. But I've been as impressed with with Caleb McGarry's step up to a point where it makes me happy. And it also pisses me off that it's taken to year four. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah. Uh, I'm infamous, I guess, in some circles for being on, stuck on Caleb McGarry Island. Uh, last year, mostly because I defended Kayla McGarry last season, just because I thought relative to Jalen Mayfield's performance, like McGarry's performance at right tackle, while not good, was passable. Like you could right. you could survive if you have a bad right tackle because there are, are ways of being able to mask that issue uh, for your offense with chips and, and rolling protections and all these various things that you can do schematically to mask the fact that you have a below average starting right tackle. I don't think you can really mask you know, what Jalen Mayfield was putting out there. There's just no way to hide uh, for your offense. And as you say, Elijah Wilkinson has been a significant, I, I, I again, I thought Aaron Donald was going to absolutely wreck him in this game. And any sort of positivity that we had for, for Elijah Wilkinson coming off of week one would be completely erased. And I think he, he played, you know, from what I could see, we'll see what the all 22 says, but um, from what I could see watching the game live and then rewatching it again this morning, um, you know, I thought he played really well in this game. So it does feel like the Falcons have made strides from an offensive line standpoint. I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch because I've known the Falcons offensive line to make strides and then completely walk that back as, as the rest of the year progresses. But so far, I've been very heartened by what I've seen from this team up front. So let me uh, let, now that the chat's opened up a little bit, the, the Facebook algos are kicking in. I want to say good morning to some folks that have come in. So uh, Luke Wright says, good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott and Aaron. Good morning. Good morning, Luke. Appreciate you being here. And Dave is always with us on YouTube as well. Says, good morning, guys. And Joe Cannon coming in. Says, great morning, Scott and Aaron. Aiden uh, Munden, young buck, uh, Temple grad who's just started, or a uh, Temple journalism student who's just started contributing on All Falcons. So welcome in, Aiden. Albert Knoppers, one of our Broncos fans. And Aaron, I forgot to warn you. Uh, I do so much stuff with uh, the Mile High Huddle crew. We get a lot of crossover in here. So we get a lot of Broncos fans. So if you hear me like making references back to how this is significant, how this parallels to the Broncos, we've got a lot of crossover fans in here. Albert's one of those guys. Uh, Richie Rich, he comes in. He says, I think we've seen everything we need to from uh, Marcus Mariota. It's time to play Ritter. And uh, RC Plane Builder kind of says this. Oh, actually, it was a little bit farther down. Jason L. And then I want to hit on this one before we say hello to some more folks. Jason L. Good morning. Uh, stacking the plates there. Looks like he's going for about a 500 pound deadlift. 
says Mariota is not a clutch passer. He is not accurate. The only time I see him being accurate are on rollouts to the right specifically. On this note, I was actually listening to um, listening to the the Falcons broadcast last week, and Dave Archer, who played quarterback for the Falcons way back in the dark days, uh, was uh, was talking about when he drops back in the pocket, his feet get quiet. You know, we we always kind of made fun of Peyton Manning. He always looked like he had happy feet in there. He was always kind of dancing around. Well, that was how he kept his feet moving and he could plant and, and throw. So it made him look nervous at times, but it was always incredibly effective. So Jason, I think your point on this is when he's rolling out, his feet are moving and he's able to, to deliver more accurately. Now, I said yesterday, Aaron, that he kind of brackets decent, adequate pretty good looking good quarterback play with disasters <laughs> you know it's 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 like okay we're good we're good we're good oh my god um and one game i haven't watched him a ton in the nfl you know i didn't watch him at Ve- he didn't play much at vegas but i didn't watch him at tennessee to know if that was his downfall there but one game is kind of a okay let's clean that up two games now i'm a little worried about it you know do do you think it's time to see Desmond Ritter? Um, you know, I, I've been firmly on the Desmond Ritter hype train for the last month since his debut in the preseason. Um, so I would not be upset if the Falcons turned the page on Marcus Mariota for that reason, just so I can get back at the people commenting on my YouTube videos back in August <laughs> saying I didn't know what I was talking about. But, you know, I'm petty like that. Um, but I, I you know, I don't think the Falcons have to feel rush to get Ritter out there because, again, part of that is, I think, due to my low expectations. Like, you're not a playoff team, so it's not as if, like, you need Ritter out there to get you the spark to get your your playoff hopes back on track. I, I'm sure Arthur Smith thinks that this team is a, is a playoff team, but, like, you know, I don't D- think – Does he, though? You know, does he? <laughs> I mean, he'll, he'll say that, right? Like They say basically- all of that, but then, you know, I always say don't watch what they say. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Every single move that Fontenot and Smith have made, and they say they work as a team, every single move they have made has pointed to 2023 for the last two years. Every single one. I think if they were a little more hedgy in their press conferences, oh, we're here to win. You hired the wrong guys. If you weren't here to win now, my ass. You know, you're not you're not here to win now. You're building something. You've got half of salary cap, literally half your salary cap available to you. Um, you know, and, and if somebody says, you know, oh, what do you think about being ranked 32? Uh, you know, we don't pay it too much attention to that stuff. We're here to work and we're going to go out there and, you know, the old Crash Davis, by golly, give it all for the team. You know, <laughs> so, you know, does he think that this is a team to go out and, Make a playoff push? No, I I think you 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 nailed it there. I I don't think at the end of the day they they really truly believe that. Um, but I I do think they will make their best effort to at least on the surface mm-hmm. appear to be a team competing. So I I expect Mariota to certainly start against Seattle. Um, I expect the Falcons to win this game at at this point in time. I predicted going into the season that they'd probably beat the Browns in Week Four. So, you know, I think Arthur Smith will be, you know, talking a lot of trash at his post-game press conferences if, if they do wind up getting two wins in a row here. 
um, you know, talking about how how people buried the team and, you know, as he is wont to do, I, I get it. Look, I'm petty too, so I can't get mad at another person for being petty. I don't see I don't see him pumping his chest too much, though. That was the one thing going back to the Broncos discussion. You know, I, I started following them last year and I was doing some work with those guys. And Vic Fangio's was not press friendly. And his biggest asshat moment for him was after beating the, the Cowboys badly. As he stood up there and puffed out his chest with his 15 and 35 record. Um, I think Arthur Smith will, I, I, when I've seen him have success, it's like, listen, we said this team's going to fight. They're going to give it all we've got. He doesn't praise anybody except the team as a whole. You know, that's when you seem to get him the worst It's like, Oh, do you feel pretty good about how rookie Tyler Algier played all, all those guys? They all worked hard. Chris Lindstrom blocked well, and Keith Smith was in there doing work. You know, he won't praise a player, but he, he handles success the little bit they have, but they won seven games last year. Um, I, I think he handles that better than the adversity uh, when he's with the, the negativity, which you could use a little humbling on both sides, coach. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I think it's fair. Um, Ritter going in, you know, uh, as, as Joe Cannon comes in, one of our great, uh, Facebook contributor. He says, Mariota isn't comfortable in the pocket. Ritter showed his poise in the pocket in the preseason with the backups. Imagine him with the starters. Yeah, it's it's different. You know, he's playing against backups, though, too, is, is part of that. Um, he's playing against second and third team guys. But again, as I was getting ready for the show, Aaron, I was just thinking about Mariota. You know, there's several sayings you hear all the time, you know, you can't that I've kind of flipped around. You know, which is, you know, you can't measure somebody's heart. I say, yeah, but you can damn sure tell if someone's got one or not, you know? So yeah, you can't measure it. And and for this one, I'm thinking, you know, we talk about the it factor. What is the it factor, the poise, the clutch gene, whatever it is, Mariota doesn't have it. That's, he's just missing. He seems to have everything else, but he's just missing it. That, that poise where you just never felt like, at least I didn't, but um, again, I've been an Atlanta sports fan for 40 years, you know, okay, well, we're making a good run at this. We're even getting a little extra hope with a punch out and the ball and down six or four or whatever it is. Need a touchdown. We'll make a nice go at it, but in the end, it'll fall short. You just, and I actually have a question for you on this one, Aaron, for all of Matt Ryan's comeback wins. Did any of them come with a touchdown? I can't remember a very one. Very few. Very few. Yeah. I can't remember one. They were all basically get in a field goal range and hit the field goal. I don't remember needing a touchdown and getting one. I remember Steve Sarkeesian falling short against the Philadelphia Eagles two times in a row, once in the playoffs, then they go on and win, and then once in the opening game of the season on the exact same situation. I remember those vividly, but I don't remember scoring. Yeah, that that was a that was kind of a thing with with Matt Ryan, where if it if you needed to go the length of the field and score a touchdown, the Falcons didn't come through that often. There, there was a couple because I, I do remember looking it up several years ago and there's a couple, but it, it's a literal handful when you look at those like 40 or however many, you know, game winning drives and comebacks, fourth quarter comebacks that he had across his career in Atlanta you could probably count on one hand how many of those ended with the Falcons scoring a touchdown when they needed to score a touchdown. Um, you know, when it comes to, to Mariota, like he's just not a precise passer. 
Like that's never really been his game. His game has always been more of that gunslinger, you know, roll outside the pocket, heave it up deep to, you know, Rashard Evan or Rashad Matthews when he was with the Titans or AJ Brown or Corey Davis or whoever it was uh, back then. And we've seen some of that, you know, that ability to extend plays outside the pocket and keep things alive and, and, and make some plays that way. But if you want him to sort of be that standard three-step, five-step, drop back quarterback and, and throw the ball with timing and rhythm, that's not really his strength. And I think the, the one thing you, you will say about Desmond Ritter, regardless of the quality of the competition he was facing in the preseason, that wasn't an, an issue for him. Throwing mm-hmm. with precision and timing and rhythm within the offense, so the right receiver making the right reads, that was not a problem for him. And, and I think that's where the the optimism, I think, from a lot of Falcon fans comes that if you insert Ritter into the lineup, if he was able to do that with backups, even in going against backups, what can he do against, uh, you know, with starters, guys that can actually make those plays when he's throwing it? Um, and so, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was, you know, and so I, I think it, it makes sense for the people to want to see what Ritter can do. And, and we'll sort of see, you know, I, I think ultimately Mariota and this team need to win some games over the next couple of weeks uh, to sort of stave off uh, that conversation. Yeah, so I, probably going to see, w- w- is this a fair summary? I think we're going to see Desmond Ritter before the season's over, just not this week. Yeah, I, you know, I, this is <laughs> this goes back to some of the the arguments I've had with with various Falcon fans and, and, and non-Falcon fans. Uh, over the last couple of months that I've always seen Mario as a bridge quarterback that he was, he's here to give you a one-year deal competent, you know, quarterback play uh, so that you can evaluate Drake London. You can evaluate Kyle Pitts. You can see what this offensive line looks like. You can see what this running game looks like, what this defense looks like so that you're not sitting here, you know, if, if, if you were to throw Desmond Ritter to the wolves in a, in a hypothetical situation, uh, from get go, and you're just watching a quarterback get his butt kicked every single week, and you just can't run functional offense because you don't have an NFL ready quarterback. Now, again, I think what Ritter showed this summer tells us that maybe he's probably ahead uh, of uh, expectations in that regard. Um, but like, if you're not going to win games, and, and the Falcon schedule did not set up well for them to win a ton of games early in the season, then at some point, once you get probably I've sort of circled that week eight game against Carolina at home as a prime opportunity when the schedule gets a little bit softer, that if you're basically out of playoff contention by that point, why wouldn't you turn the the, the keys over to, to Desmond Ritter at this point? But I think right now, you know, we're having that conversation probably a month or so earlier than at least I thought we probably would. Um, and, you know, I think we might be having that if, if the, basically – it's kind of a must win game for Marcus Mariota this week against Seattle, because if they start the season, zero and three, you know, much again, I, I know there's Scott and, and, and you and, and myself aren't surprised by an zero and three start, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like this was the Seattle game is one of your most winnable games. And if, if Mariota is going to get any wins this year, you feel like Seattle's the perfect opportunity. If they can't pull it off there, he does not play well. Uh, and you see this sort of inconsistency that we've seen these last two weeks continue this week, then I do think there's going to be a much, much louder conversation that Ritter should be starting as early as week four against Cleveland at home. So, um, you know, there is a ticking clock on Marcus Mario at this point. 
Our friend Kenny Brooker comes in. He says, I thought we were on with Marcus Spears. So it's Peyton Manning. That's the one I get all the time with the big forehead. <laughs> you see, he looks like Peyton Manning, everybody that comes in the first I'll time. So it's Marcus Peyton Manning Spears. and Marcus Spears uh, coming in and coming in and talking some football. Um, <clears throat> Kenny kind of steps out and we'll, we'll change subjects for just a moment here. He says, when Lattimore and Evans got ejected, who do you think was the bigger loss to their team? Um, I think a wide receiver is easier to place than a top defensive back when you've got multiple weapons and Tom Brady. Um, that's my take on that. And as I said, when I saw it, Tom Brady will be happy to pay Mike Evans fine for him. Um, you know, you come up and you've got my back. Thank you, sir. Dinner on me tonight. I would agree. Um, we know that matchup has gone heavily in, in Marshawn Lattimore's favor these last couple of years. Uh, Evans did make some plays on, on Sunday. Uh, so he, he seemed to get him back. Uh, relative to what we've seen where he's kind of been blanked in some of these games and, and only had one catch against Lattimore. Uh, but I would agree with you. I, I think losing Lattimore really is a devastating blow for that Saints defense, uh, more so than Mike Evans was for the Bucks offense, even though the Bucks were already down a, a whole bunch of receivers. But as you say, when you have Tom Brady, you know, I'm not going to say you and I can go out there and, and win games uh, in Tampa Bay, but you don't have to be that much better. than. But I'm not as wide receiver Brady. dependent. <laughs> when I've got the quarterback, which we'll get into draft here in a little bit. Um, we, we've got about 15 minutes or so, <clears throat> and then we'll get going. Um, one of the comments I heard that that you were, we were talking about, Mariota, and I kind of wanted to sum up and see if you agreed with me. Mariota versus Ritter. Mariota, and I got to see him in high school. That's what I used to do back in the day, uh, was, was scout high school players. And I got to see him. He was actually playing in an all-star game in South Carolina, all the way from Hawaii. And Mariota always struck me as the athlete playing quarterback, where Ritter is a quarterback who's an athlete. Uh, he is a good pocket passer, so people forget how freaking fast he is. He can fly. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing that ability and see what they can do. So what would it take for you to see out of Ritter this year to think that I don't need a quarterback in the draft next year? Yeah, I don't think the bar is that high. You know, I don't think you need to feel like Ritter, you know, he, he doesn't have to go out there and, and, you know, if he starts 10 games or whatever and, and lead this team on a 7-3 record or anything like that. I just think you kind of have to see a guy that's not lost, right? A, a guy that looks like he's <laughs> NFL ready and is you're not out there getting like bottom three quarterback <laughs> the the bar is so low for rookies at, at this point right. in time like we, we've seen so many rookies come in and, and play well but the reality is that most of them are bad most of them are, are frankly terrible i mean um, they, the media fawned over mac jones last year for being a little below average you know when you when you look he was a little bit below average nfl quarterback well that's great for a rookie i'm like miss me on this man stuff jamar chase is rookie of the year get out of here you know don't don't tell me mac jones for god's sakes yeah. Um, going into, you mentioned last year a little bit, and we were talking about the quarterback dependency and the offensive line. And it, does it really matter who you've got here? If you can't do this, you know, Aaron, that's kind of how I felt about the past two drafts, um, going in and more so la no, actually no, both of them. I was pretty against taking a pass catcher in both of them. To be fair, the news that Julio Jones wanted out hadn't broken yet when when uh when Kyle Pitts was drafted but at the time where were you looking who did you who were you interested in because I'll go ahead and preface this by saying 
I was pretty adamant saying this team cannot stop the run, cannot defend at all, cannot protect the passer and can't run. And you got a 37 year old quarterback. You're going to have a bridge, you know, what by the time you're any good, your quarterback's too old. So you're going to have a, a transition there. What good is taking Kyle Pitts? Where So I was, I was against that at the time. Once the Julio Jones came out, it, news came out it made a little more sense they probably had a better sense of the long term of calvin ridley than the rest of us did who was coming off a 1300 yard season but uh you know what were your thoughts with terry fontenot's first draft in that number four pick yeah i was kind of torn on the the reload versus the rebuild strategy like i I thought that at that pick you either take a quarterback or you, you take kyle pitts who uh you know to me was this generational tight end prospect and it made since for the Falcons, you know, and, and I, I was on board with, with taking Cowboys. Now, you know, had it been me running the show, I probably would have taken the quarterback and Justin Fields there just because I, I, I was, I, I said, I, I, I would have taken Justin Fields at two, whether we're right or wrong. I'm not changing my, you know, I'm not going to rewrite history. I was yeah. all, I was all about Justin Fields at the time. Yeah. And, and so like, to me, like you want to answer the quarterback conversation. It's the most important mm-hmm. position in your team. And, and to me, a really good, quarterback prospect was basically fell in the Falcons lap and it was, it was too good to pass up that opportunity um, regardless of what you thought about Matt Ryan and his future. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, given Matt Ryan's presence, given Calvin Ridley, given Julio Jones's presence at the time, like the idea of this team, rather than rebuilding around the new quarterback um, reloading and, and let it seeing what they could get out of, you know, Julio one last, you know, dance, uh, with Ridley and with Pitts and with Ryan, like it was intriguing to sort of see. Now, for me, once the news broke that Julio was won it out, the Pitts selection made a little less sense. I get it from the standpoint you need a pass catcher to replace Julio, but at the same time, like you're not going to be as successful if Julio is gone. Like Julio did so much for this offense, and I think we saw that play out um, last year with their lack of explosiveness and. Mm-hmm. You know, he masked so many issues for this team uh, because of his ability to do all the things that he could do uh, throughout his career. And so, like, the idea that you were going to be able to reload this thing and and get Matt Ryan, like, it made less sense to me in hindsight. But, um, you know, like, I get it. At the same time, you know, Pitts is this intriguing talent. They, they along with several other teams picking at the top of the draft, were not in love with Justin Fields so far in his short career, it seems like those that skepticism around him has been somewhat validated uh, at this point in time. So like, I I won't be overly critical of that choice. It kind of was an either or sort of situation, kind of a toss up. So I understand I'm I'm much more forgiving of that choice uh, than I was going into this past year's draft and and taking another pass catcher. As I said, you, you had a need there, but as, as you mentioned, like, there's, there seem to be so many other issues on this football. I had needs everywhere. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> don't tell going, me about needs. There's a need everywhere. The except catcher, tight end in this year's draft. Yes. Yeah. You but, need you know, everywhere. To, to Drake London's credit, he's, he's played really well these first two games. And so he has at least silenced the skeptics and the critics at, at this point in time. Um, and the team has, you know, looked, as I said earlier, much more competitive and doesn't seem like those massive needs that we all perceive them having, particularly in the trenches this offseason, you know, it doesn't seem right now that those needs, you know, that they have some in-house options that have been able 
to sort of at least stop the bleeding at those spots. But obviously, I, I still think they're going to have a, a lot uh, to invest in those areas when we get to next offseason. Let's hit knees. I'm going to go through the chat again real quick because Albert Knoppers, who uh, is Dutch, I believe, Albert, get to get to meet you at the, the Broncos meet and greet. I'm heading out to Denver next week to with the Mile Huddle meet and greet, which will be fun for the San Francisco game. But he says, you know what the name Ritter translates to? It's Dutch for night. That's kind of cool. <laughs> We're gonna have to we're gonna have to make something of that the Dutch night or something you yeah. know and you know we we can do something without Albert might be what the QB what his name stands for more importantly that's what he needs to become that's that that is kind of cool um, the third bomb he says if he looks like he did in the preseason or the regular season there's no need to draft a new QB and that could be really really intriguing because if someone someone always needs a quarterback there's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. Um, can you get a heist like the, uh, like the dolphins did when they traded down and, and fleece the 49ers for three first round draft picks? Yes, please. What better for a, a, a rebuilding team? Absolutely. And Aaron, that's actually what I've been a proponent of for the last two drafts. The most is trading down, but you could have done it with the pits draft and gotten some good players towards the back. And this one, nobody wanted to trade up. Uh, this was a draft that was heavy from like 30 to 100, not in the back end of the first round. It's like everybody going in the 5 to 15 was the same guy as the guy going 16 to 30. Nobody wanted to trade down. Um, or do you take Will Anderson? Do you get your destroyer on the edge? Uh, could be a lot of fun there. Um, and Big E Bronco comes is when you start Desmond Ritter, consistency is what you're looking for as long as he comes out and plays consistent football. Um, keeps you in short third down yardage. What's that? What's short third down yardage? I I I, I don't that's, know what you're talking about. That's when the Falcons run the Aaron, ball and get stuffed. That's, that's I made a note, Aaron, on this um, when I was watching the game yesterday. I think it was, it may have been into the third quarter when they said this was the first third down longer than four or longer than two yards for the LA Rams. I'm like, and it was four, and it was third and four. It's like God, it's hard to win games if you're, you know, winning third and short is a dream. It, it absolutely is. Joe Cannon comes in and says, Micah was my pick instead of Pitts. I actually wrote him up as, should he be the guy? And that was before I knew he could be such a terror off the edge. This is just a guy I'm like, I could drop him in and have Brian Erlacher, Mike Singletary, any of the old guys that I grew up with when the inside linebacker was still a, a glamour position, running four threes with you know four flat shuttles and 40-inch uh, vertically. The guy was a menace. Um, Taryn ocean, uh, ocean boy, Martin comes in with a heartbroken. Yeah. Terry, Terry's one of our more optimistic guys. And he's, he's, I'm feeling for you today. Terry says, Hey, we got Aaron as a guest today. Yes, we did. Terry. Um, um, very, uh, very ple very fortunate to, uh, to get Aaron very, very happy. He was able to, uh, to join us today. And Clee comes in and kind of says something that I text to a few friends of mine yesterday. Matt Ryan era is off to a kind of a rough start uh, in Indianapolis. And I know 95% of Falcons fans are keeping one eye up, uh, up North, up, 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 up 75 and hang a left Indianapolis to see, see how that's going right now. It's not going very well. Um, Aaron needs. Um, I feel like this team, the, the holes are more glaring because they are fewer. Um, so I've got a couple ideas. It's like, okay, where would you upgrade first? You know, forget positional value. 
where do you see the biggest holes on this team? And remember, anybody over than two years with more than two years of service is probably on a one-year deal. <laughs> so we were talking about, okay, well, Elijah Wilkinson looks good. Kalen McGarry looks good. Yeah, those guys are free agents after the end of the year. You know, so when we're thinking about building, it's easier to re-sign your own guys than it is to poach a free agent. But as you're watching this team, I've got a couple ideas where like things, there's still some, a couple big holes, not as many, but they stand out more because there aren't as many big holes on this team. Yeah, for me, it's still about the trenches, right? Even though I said earlier that they're much better there than I thought they would, like in order for this team to be good, like legitimately good playoff caliber team, that has to be a strength of your roster. It, it can't be good enough to keep you competitive is what I was making the point earlier. That's where they at right now. Good enough to keep them competitive, but not good enough for them to be able to go into games and say, we're going to control the line of scrimmage and there's nothing you can do to stop us. So for me, you know, I, I think you're looking at upgrades along the offensive line. You know, again, Wilkinson, McGarry, we'll see what Dalman does. Maybe they've done enough to stop the bleeding, but they're not at this point in time, long-term solutions. You know, Lindstrom's really the only guy up front that you can look at that you can say with confidence is should be a Falcon three years from now, right? In, in terms, and so you need to find more of those players. If that means going out there and spending all that cap space on free agents, if that means, you know, investing early round picks in the offensive line, I'm all for it, right? Mm -hmm. I just think if this offense is going to be good, the way that Arthur Smith wants to play, he wants to run the football. And I think you need to have guys that can allow you to do that. And then on the flip side of defense, I think their success there relies on them having a great defensive front, right? They've made strides there. You know, Grady Jarrett's still going strong. Arnold Abichetti and Lorenzo Carter and Taquan Graham look like they're giving them a little bit more there than they got from that group last year with a whole bunch of sort of veterans on one-year contracts. Um, but again, it's, it's just not good enough at this point in time. And frankly, you know, you, you mentioned Will Anderson. I, I'm big on the Will Anderson hype train. I'm big on the Jalen Carter hype train. Uh, you know, basically, basically at this point in time, <laughs> yes, like, I, I, I see, I see Grady Jarrett. He might play like two or three more years of, of prime Grady Jarrett. And I just want to get him some help. Right. We, we spent yeah. so many years towards the end of John Abraham's uh, time in Atlanta, trying to find somebody opposite him, whether it was Jamal Anderson or Ray Edwards, and we never found that player to give him some help to, so that he didn't have to carry this team. And I just like if if nothing else gets accomplished by this football team, uh, if they don't turn things around and become this playoff team and rebuild it successfully, at least for my sake, I just want to see Grady Jarrett if he's going to you know spend these last couple of years here in Atlanta, give him somebody that we can say, you know, give him some help, take some pressure off of him. And if that's all we get in the Arthur Smith, Terry Fontenot era, that's a win for me, at least from, from that standpoint. Yeah. I look at it and you mentioned the guy three years from now on the offensive line. Unfortunately, the way they are Matt Ryaning and Julio Jonesing Jake Matthews's contract, he might be here in three years with a $50 million dead cap number. So they've done a good job of getting out from under. There's one more bad contract on this team where they're where they're really upside down on. Just one, and it's Jake Matthews. And right now he's serviceable. But I think he's got a $33 million cap hit next year, which you know he won't play on. So that just means they're going to restructure and kick it down the line again. And eventually 
that comes due. That bill comes due. The salary cap is not a myth. It will eventually catch up to a certain player, and you're going to have to eat the money on it. Uh, the Falcons, I was glad they kind of backed their way into the right move of ripping the Band-Aid off and eating $40 million of Matt Ryan's cap money this year. Um, real quick, I got about two or three minutes. I have some points I want to make, but I'm going to be here again. I might not see you again on here real quick. So I want to think what straight to the point, does Deion Jones play for this team again? I've been skeptical all summer long, but he's, he's still here. I, I didn't think he would still be here at this point in time. So the odds are greater than I thought they were three months ago, but <laughs> it still seems like very low odds that he's going to play another snap for the Falcons. So we'll, we'll see, but you know, it's, Somewhere between like zero and twenty percent chance, I, I think. But yeah, I would have yeah, said three yeah, months ago, zero percent. Yeah, I think that the odds are better. That's because my odds before were zero. <laughs> I felt like this was a payoff. The the restructure of the contract. I I felt like it was a here's your money, dude. I don't want to write you a check every month. We're done. You know, because that's all it was. I mean, it freed up some space this year, which is the only time they've done that for the most part, especially after the season has started increased his dead cap next year but they can roll it over that's a foreign concept to falcons fans we wait you can you can what's extra cap space we're used to just wasting money um which for those of you who weren't around in the 80s is still a better problem to have than the smiths who wouldn't spend any money and those guys were just gone that was anybody i will you will never hear me say a bad thing except a negative uh, an overly negative thing about arthur blank i lived through the smith era um Real quick, I can't get out of here without shouting out my Andersons. Um, I have been on the Abdullah Anderson train for since the, the, the week two of the preseason. Just watching him change directions, little things like this. I'm like, how is this guy not getting more? Then he's cut, then he's resigned, then he's inactive. Anderson, uh, Troy Anderson and Abdullah Anderson came in, they played 20 snaps together in the fourth quarter, and they were dominating. They were dominating. Get my Anderson boys on the field, please. You were talking about help. And the other thing real quick, Aaron, I don't know if – for me, one of those gaping holes right now is 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 the the edge. And they flipped the snap counts this week. Um, Ogundeji had about 2-1 to one over Ebiketti last week. It was about 52-48 to 48 this week with Ebiketti getting more snaps. Ogundeji is a liability. He is a liability on that left end. Yeah, I think – Ogundeji plays because he's good against the run, right? Like Ebiketti and and Malone aren't quite there as run defenders, and, and that's really what Ogundeji's main contribution is. But in terms of the pass, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, that, and that's what's scary is like he because for me he, he's not, and that's when it's like okay, well if he's not going to be, you know, Stephen Means might at least be able to set an edge even if he couldn't fall into a quarterback in the backfield. Um, if he's not going to be helping you there, then, then put Ebiketti in, just, just switch him. get your young guy in with better upside. I know, I know Ogundeji is, is young. He's a fifth round pick. Yeah. You know, what you get out of him is gravy. It, it's gravy. And right now he's a liability. Um, on that note, any final thoughts before, uh, before we go? No. Um, you know, I feel like again, you know, if you went into the season expecting this team to win nine or more games, which from what I gather was a very, very small, but very vocal minority of Falcons fans. 
and the um, other ones that'll be calling for the coach's head when they fail to meet up there with their uh, with their expectations. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's tough for those f- folks. You know, I'll be shedding a couple of tears for for you guys out there. Uh, but you know, I I do think they have an opportunity to sort of rebound these next couple of weeks and sort of you know I, I think people can be a little patient for those of you that weren't necessarily expecting this team to to win that many games i do think it's fair to be a little bit patient when it comes to see what mariota can do these next couple of games um before you know outright saying you know it should be ritter or whatever but uh we'll we'll just sort of have to see you know it's a long season um and you know i I think the falcons as i said have done more good than bad through you know eight quarters of football definitely and i think um Still a little bit more jaded than you because I have a hard time seeing him go into uh, the 12s and getting a win in Seattle this week. But it may be that Denver is just that bad. Um, you know, <laughs> we, it, that may be the thing because, you know, they be, yeah. that's a whole other conversation. But we've got to get out of here. I've got to hop over to Mile High Huddle and talk Broncos uh, right now. But, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, appreciate you stepping up. And it was good to meet you in person. And hopefully we'll get to do this again more soon. All right. Yeah. You know, just start about 20 minutes later and I'll I'll be good. (laughs) We'll go Falcons for brunch. Anyway, this was Foraging the Falcons. That is Aaron Freeman. You can find him on Twitter at Falcfans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. And on Locked On, on the Locked On Network. He is the host for Locked On Falcons. Uh, A definite must listen for Falcons fans. I am Scott Kennedy. We will see you again Wednesday morning at our usual time at uh, 9 a.m., And Nick will be back for us. But again, for Aaron, for Scott, we'll see you next time.